Hello, sir. Well, hello. How you doing? I'm good. Long time no talk. I know. We, we skipped a week and it feels strange when I don't talk to you in a given week. Something's off, you know? It's nice being a little more consistent lately. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm noticing it when we miss. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, we didn't get too much revolt on, on the Twitters from missing an episode. I tried to get out ahead of that by posting some links to some other podcast episodes we've been on recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so, that, was, that was savvy. Yeah. You're good at this internet thing. Uh, I don't know. You know, I try. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's going on with you? I've had a cold the last week, which just sucks, like makes you value your health all the more when you, I mean, it wasn't a particularly bad cold, but just enough where like I've been operating at maybe 50 to 75% capacity for the last week. And it's just frustrating when I'm like sitting here, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Normally I would be getting my second wind and it's like, I want to take a nap, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been no fun. Totally. How rude of your body to do this when you're trying to get stuff done. I know, right? Like, doesn't it know what we're trying to do here? Yeah. Super obnoxious. Yeah. I've noticed an unfortunate loop that you can get into or that I've, I found myself in sometimes, which is I will get stressed about a thing and then I will not sleep as well because I'm stressed. And then the lack of sleep makes me more stressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to be really look out for those feedback loops that happen. I mean, that's what was happening with my headaches before with the stress and like they're, they're pretty nasty to break the cycle sometimes. Totally. Yeah. One thing I've noticed is helping, I think is that because I'm in a place that is beautiful and has lots of outdoor options and the weather's nice, I'm spending a lot more time in the sun and outdoors. And I feel like my tiredness trigger is going off earlier. Hmm. Interesting. I get sleepy as the sun starts going down. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, probably a good thing though, huh? Oh, no, it's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I did NanoConf yeah I'm, I'm interested to hear about how that went yeah actually i've done kind of like two retreats actually recently so i did nanoconf and then i had uh, spencer and joel down for for tupleconf oh cool <laughs> nice tupleconf yeah so yeah those are both really great actually uh, so nanoconf was good we ended up being like a really small group it was just uh, six of us total down on the island it's really gotten kind of easy to plan now because it it, it turns out the format that works really well for this is just um, kind of a hot seat format where everyone gets you know something like a half an hour to be kind of the focus of the group and bring some sort of problem or thing they want to discuss and so we actually have sort of this pre-planned activity like a session we're going to do and we just need to do it somewhere nice and so my logistics are just like think of really nice places to be and then go be in a nice place and then we talk and it works uh, really well martha's vineyard excels at beautiful locations particularly outdoor locations yeah i'd say your job's pretty probably pretty easy on uh, picking nice spots huh uh, absolutely yeah so it's kind of like we basically just alternate between food slash coffee and beautiful spots and the conversation carries the rest of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so did everyone kind of come prepared with kind of a, a list of challenges they're working through and stuff uh yes yeah exactly it was often pretty high level uh, like my stuff was pretty high level. Some people had specific things, but it, it varied. But yeah, it was uh, it was fairly casual. Like we we had one person bring some slides, but he does kind of a, a good funny thing with them. And so the rest were just kind of, all right, so here's what I'm thinking about. And then the group would kind of dive in. Mm-hmm. Was it mostly people who had done it before? Did you have some newcomers? I ended up um, only having one newcomer. 
I'd originally invited um, others, but due to cancellations and space issues and things like that, um, there was just one new person and the rest were returning folks. Mm-hmm. So you had yeah. pretty good rapport, like everyone was pretty comfortable with each other, I imagine. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's a nice thing is like even just having the context of previous, mm-hmm. like knowing where someone was at last year and kind of already having a picture of their business is definitely helpful. And this is kind of an interesting thing about these these mini conferences. I hear, you know, hear about Big Snow Tiny Conf, which I haven't attended yet, but would like to and I would l- would like to <laughs> go to NanoConf one of these years. What do you think the kind of growth strategy is for these? Because I imagine that they get they get kind of better once people, you know, kind of know each other and have have the rapport and the trust and all that. So then how does that work for getting newer people involved in these? Or does it just mean like spinning up more of them so that there's more of these kind of small masterminds that are happening all over the place? Are you asking like how to bring in new people over time? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have the answer to that yet. I'm still kind of experimenting with it and figuring it out. Something like 25% to a third new people feels about right. Like it's nice to have existing people who know each other, but I also think there's value in new perspectives. Like I'm already sort of thinking about next year. It's like, okay, what would the guest list look like? I'm like, okay, I don't think I want, I don't think it's ideal to have all the same people, even though all the people were great. And it's not like I would be like, oh, you shouldn't come because you weren't awesome. But it's just like, I think for the quality of the event overall, having some like new faces is good. Yeah, there might be like an optimal balance there of like a foundation of people who are comfortable with each other, but not so tight where it's like you feel like you're trying to break into a group that's known each other for 10 years, you know? Totally. Yeah, yeah. that is something that I think is getting will probably get increasingly challenging. It's like, okay, someone's come the last three years or four years or five years. It's like, uh, do I eventually say, sorry, like this is the year you shouldn't come? Yeah. Maybe there's a hard cap or like a, you have to take a year off every three or something like that to like keep fresh blood in. <laughs> yeah. That's tricky. And it, 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 there's that whole like social thing that makes it harder than, than just like a pure logistics problem too. Right. Right. It's like I'm, I'm friends with all these people. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they're also all reasonable understanding folks. So far as like, Hey, here's the goal, the thing I'm going for. And this is why I can't have everyone every year. I'm sure they would get it. Yeah. Yep. Well, nice. I'm glad it was glad it was a success. So this is the thing I've started doing in a couple of contexts is doing like a lessons learned with the group at the very end. Like sit down like what went well and what could be better next time and then capturing that for anything that I think I'm going to repeat. So like last year's lessons learned were very useful for this year. And so like I think it improved the, the experience a lot and I did it again. And it, the feedback this time was I had the sense that it was kind of a lot more dialed in the tweaks people were talking about were kind of smaller than last year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. I wouldn't have changed almost anything. Honestly, we got lucky with weather uh, and yeah, things were, things were good. Nice. You made sure to call the national weather service and, and phone in some good, some good weather. Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, September is great here. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it's, it's a good month to, to do it. So that was NanoConf. After a couple of days went by, uh, Spencer and Joel came down and we did uh, TupleConf. That was kind of like a, let's just be together. We haven't seen each other in a little while because Ben's been on the vineyard. Um, but we also, so we spent a lot of time just, or part of the time just kind of enjoying the island. And we rented like a Jeep and took all the, the doors off and drove around the island and, and had a great time, did some hikes. But then we also took uh, a, basically a, almost a whole day and sat down and, and I, I wrote down some, some high level questions. And this was actually one of my takeaways from NanoConf was kind of like, like one of the biggest risks to any company is co-founder issues. And so things are mostly going well at Tuple. And so our biggest uh, risk to me seemed like we would stop wanting to work on it together for some reason. And so I was like, let me, let's invest some time just like checking in. And so like my, my first question to the three of us was, how is everyone doing, but really? 
<laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. We dove into the feelings uh, and I think that was like a, a really uh, useful a- activity. Did it happen right away or did it take, did it take a little bit of time to really kind of start to pull out like deeper threads? I think uh, to our credit, we got into it pretty quickly. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty good at communicating with each other already, mm-hmm. it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying this, maybe there's some <laughs> like lurking thing that we haven't uncovered. <laughs> yeah. And I'll look back on this podcast and go, oh my God, you idiot. Uh, yeah. But I think we're pretty good at, at, at getting stuff out when it's, when it's bothering us. There's nothing super shocking came out. Uh, but there was sort of good, honest discussion of like, hey, these are the kind of things that I worry about or that I think about. And like one of the questions I, I specifically asked was, like, was um, uh, when have I annoyed you? One of my things is I can totally deal with it if someone tells me they're upset with me for some reason. Like I, I usually can handle that pretty well. But if I'm worried that someone is upset with me and I don't know, that stresses me out. Like the idea that someone is secretly mad at me and I'm like, are they mad at me? Like, are they mad about that thing I did? Or should I feel guilty about this thing? That's what really eats me. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's good so. stuff to know about yourself. And I, did, did you guys end up doing any kind of like personality tests or anything like how to deal with conflict and all that good stuff? Um, uh, we should do that. We haven't. At the very beginning, we wrote up um, care and feeding documents. So it's like talk about how, what your personality is like and how to best work with you. Uh, but it's, it's been a little while since we revisited those and, and talked about that. That would probably be a good thing to do. The way I operate, like I'm, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Like I, I'm not like confrontational <laughs> in most respects. So like if there's something that happens that I didn't like or was offended by or something like odds are I, I'll just keep quiet about it and just like, oh, let it let it roll, you know, but that's not necessarily healthy. Like you want to try to cultivate a culture where you can kind of just be open and honest with each other and things don't turn into like a, a festering, like, well, you've been, you've been pissing me off for the last six months and I just haven't said anything. You know, I saw these great questions from Claire Lou. I think it was for like managers to ask their reports on during one-on-ones. One of them was like, when have you disagreed with me? But it didn't feel like it was worth the trouble to voice huh. it. Interesting. Yeah. I like that phrasing a lot. So the outcome of all that was like pretty positive, felt pretty good. Um, One interesting thing is we started talking about kind of our ambitions because we're in sort of a new phase now. So it's like, okay, the the basic thing is working. Uh, We're paying the bills. Now what? Do we want to go real slow and like, do you want to go really fast? How hard do we want to push it? What do we value? And so it was, it was actually useful to get together and talk about all those things at a high level. Do you feel like anything has changed considerably from when you guys started out on that front? Not exactly. So, I mean, I think some of it is just like uh, like hedonic adaptation where it's like we, the original, like before it was like, oh my God, if we could just pay, you know, make ramen profitable, that'd be amazing. And now it's like, well, it doesn't feel amazing anymore. I mean, it's great, but it's not like we're not just sitting there like, oh my God, we made it to ramen. So the ambitions have sort of steadily lifted as the, as the numbers go up. We just want more numbers, higher numbers. I would say it's sort of changed through a slow kind of getting used to the norm kind of thing. Perhaps we're like getting a touch more ambitious in general on top of that. Um, as it looks like, oh, hey, there's a real opportunity here. We can do some cool things. We did an exercise like, okay, what might Tuple look like three years from now? Like what would an org chart look like and who might we hire and all these things? And it's like, wow, we could, we could really possibly go at this with a, a bigger team and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that perspective shifts over time as you, as you go through different phases of a business. And I guess this, this conversation has sort of been reverberating through the 
bootstrapper podcast space. Like I heard Justin Jackson and John Buddha talk about this on Build Your SaaS about like, is it even something to think about to find like you're enough on MRR? Like at what point do you decide like, I don't want to proactively grow beyond like just staying staying steady because I don't want to keep growing the team and hiring more people and hiring support people and developers and all that kind of stuff. And then I heard Brian Castle and Jordan talk about their commentary on it and kind of interesting perspective from Jordan because, you know, Cardhook is much bigger, over a million bucks a month in, in MRR. And like you reach the point where, you know, even when you're big, once you start hiring people, I mean, people are expensive. And so even the thought of like holding back MRR, not proactively trying to grow, then you know, that's not something you can really operate under anymore when you're actually hiring people. Your needs change and then you start thinking about growth differently. And so it's just it's kind of an interesting trajectory that SaaS goes through, you know. I don't know if it's reassuring or disheartening or something, but like it's just like no matter what phase you're at, you're kind of always thinking about, well, how do we get to the next one? And then how do we so and when we get to the next one, we'll have new problems and but there'll always be problems and that might actually just be kind of the reality of the world. It's like you don't ever solve it. There's just different problems at every phase. That's cool. It'd be boring otherwise. You don't actually want to solve it. It seems like you want to, but in fact, you would just get... Like if you were basically at stasis and it made tons of money, but it required no work, you'd be like, all right, well, this is cool, but I don't know. I'm kind of bored. Yeah. I mean, for the same reason, you wouldn't want to necessarily tomorrow have a big exit and then just retire and not do anything interesting yeah. for the rest of your career. You know, like that's <laughs> that's not what most mm -hmm. of us want. You know, we want financial security, sure. But like... We don't want to do nothing or not work on interesting problems, right? Yep, absolutely. There's this weird thing that I don't think we actually would do, but that sort of appeals to me and just because of its weirdness and it's, I don't know, slightly counterintuitive or something, but like deciding like, okay, we want to have approximately a thousand customers, let's say. And then like, once you start to get close to a thousand customers, you start raising the prices ah. to like <laughs> slow it down kind yeah. of thing. yeah. This is like, oh, we're over. Oh, we're at 1100. Okay, well, let's increase the prices again. Like, oh, it's still growing. Okay, let's increase it again. Like, like can we just keep getting the, the average revenue up higher and higher and, and sort of stay roughly where we want to be from a complexity point of view, but maybe grow revenue anyway? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which in a perfect world could be interesting, but then... In reality, it's like you're kind of creating a plateau for yourself. And like so many, so many SaaS founders, like the biggest thing you're trying to do is avoid plateaus, right? Uh, well, you're creating a, a customer number plateau, but maybe not a revenue plateau. If that's it true. Yeah, yeah. One counter argument against it that resonates with me is like, well, you're creating too much opportunity for competitors. You just keep increasing your price further and further and like just opening up more and more like of a, of a room for someone else, I guess. I think the, the real punchline here is that I always want to think about pricing for some reason. So I also had another thought today. So I have these things on my to-do list. There are a couple things that I'm pretty sure if I did them would like move the needle a bit on the business. And I think they're each like an afternoon of work. But for some reason, they're never quite the most important thing. Or like I never quite want to just like, I somehow don't get over the activation energy for some of them. It's not always the same things. Like eventually I usually get to them. But it's like sometimes they'll be like just weeks or, or months and I'm like, yep, there's this thing I know and it would be a good thing to do and it probably wouldn't take that long, but maybe I don't know quite how to do it or um, I just don't, it doesn't, it's not quite the most important thing. And I, my theory is there's a bunch of these for every business. And like this is why consulting engagements are good and exist and are worthwhile because it's like, yeah, we know we should be sending more onboarding emails. And so you hire an onboarding expert because you know they're going to actually get the project done. And it's, it's going to get off your to-do list and they will ship a thing at the end of it. You know, that, because you know it's good. You just can't make yourself do it for some reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think this could be mitigated somewhat by like trying to periodically do more like, I guess, deliberate planning of like, what are, what are our priorities? Like really kind of stacking things up against each other and then like holding yourself accountable to getting those things done maybe in like a given week or something. Yeah. I think this definitely reflects a bit of a weakness. And the thing that might be missing is the like planning phase, like the prioritization, or it might be like taking time to write down like, okay, what is the thing you would actually do so that when I think about doing it feels clear and I can just get that thing done. I wouldn't say it's a strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's something that I want to I want to do better at. Yeah. Something that I'm struggling with kind of along these lines is like there's a lot of projects that I think also would be high value or like just necessary things to get done just to kind of check off the the old to-do list, but there are things that are maybe like two-day projects or three-day projects and right now I'm so hooked on the types of tasks where like I can put in like a day's worth of effort into this thing and have a deliverable and see some start seeing some results and getting some metrics on like what it's doing. And I'm struggling to like bite off, like go into the product cave and build some things for a couple of days and not like keep kind of producing outside results. Like I think I maybe I've become a little too obsessed with breaking things down into small chunks. And like I'm starting to get really leery of like biting off things that can't really be broken down into chunks smaller than like multiple days or a week or something um mm, interesting so you have maybe like 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 a little bit of fear or hesitation around the bigger things yeah i think so i think so i guess it's probably um something that would help is just i mean i think having kind of doing these planning exercises and getting getting other people looped in if i feel like i don't have total confidence in like given these five things like what are the most important ones to bite off because two of them are going to take a week each and so that's two weeks of time like that's a lot of time so just trying to like get as much confidence as I can that like, yep, this is worth it to do right now. And I have found it helpful to, you know, talk to you about stuff or talk to other, you know, kind of mentors or just friends that I have. That always seems to help give me a little bit of clarity, especially being a solo guy, you know. We, one thing we did once that was useful was we did a, like a planning meeting of like what to build next. And for we threw a ton of ideas in a bucket. And then for each idea, we rated it on impact and ease. So it's it, like that sort of because it factors in like how much will it move the needle and how hard is it? So the things that were possibly impactful but quick rose to the top in that, which is kind of a, I think maybe the missing piece for me. It's just like, okay, what's the most important thing? Okay, well, this this big thing over here. Okay, cool. But there are three things that are small that you could ship first that maybe won't have as much impact, but will have some impact. And, you know, when the fact that you can do them, all three of them quickly, means they're worth more than the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this theory. I bet if you went into any business, you could find a couple, a half dozen things that if you said, how come you're not doing this? They'd say, oh yeah, we know we totally should be doing this. And they're like things that vary from like a half day to a week of work uh, that just never got shipped, even though they totally agree it's a good idea and wish it got done. It just never quite makes it. I bet there's just always that in every business. That's my that's my theory. I think you're right. I think you're probably right. I mean, it's certainly in, in every context I've been in, there's always been those things, you know. Mm-hmm. But but don't worry, I won't let this keep me from feeling guilty about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> right, right. The guilt yeah. will be there. I'll make sure to I'll make sure to feel that. <laughs> oh man. So what's going on uh, in your world? A bunch of stuff on the product front a couple small milestones broke through so i had my first expansion revenue um oh yes yes so dude that's my favorite revenue oh i know i know so a customer kind of broke past the the 1000 submissions a month limit that's currently on my my lowest paid tier and emailed him about i'm right now i'm just kind of manually watching where people are in, in respect to their limits and i just emailed him and said hey you know congrats like 
you got a lot of submissions, uh, time to bump you to the next tier. And he was like super happy and willing to do it. So yeah, that was good. A couple more customers came on board, nothing too crazy just yet, but like a little bit of growth in that front. And I also had a, an annual customer <laughs> come through. I don't think he'll mind me saying his name, uh, Brian Castle just redid his personal site. And I think he's redoing a couple of his sites and implemented it with Jekyll, one of the old standard static site generators, and is using Static Kit on his for his uh, email opt-in forms and I think contact forms and some content upgrades and stuff. So yeah, that's really exciting. I'm glad to have him on board. I'm going to try to get a case study put together just about like his transition from WordPress to Static and why he why he did it and you know how he's kind of piecing together things that he maybe would have used WordPress plugins for. I think it could be a really good case study. You know, totally. I love the confidence or like the endorsement that's kind of inherent to an annual yeah. upgrade like that. He reached out and was like, all right, I just upgraded, like paid us $10 or whatever for the, for the month. And then said like, you know, normally with these types of services, I just want to like pay for the year and not have to worry about the monthly stream of charges and provided that there was some kind of incentive to do annual, which I, I for now, I think I'm sticking with the 12 months for the price of 10 typical annual deal. So um, I was like, yeah, happy to move you to to annual. And it'll be interesting to see if if other people, you know, kind of get interested in that. The tricky thing is like if if someone could potentially be moving through tiers, then it gets a little cumbersome, like like midstream upgrading someone. Dude, uh, I was going to ask you about that. Not to bring it back to me again, but it, we have this thing where it's like, let's say I charge 300 bucks a year per person that signs up for Tuple on a team. And like three months from now, you want to add a person to your team how much do I charge you? And and how, like, you know? Yeah. With Drip, we kind of came up with this interesting like credit-based strategy, which I mean, I don't think this jives with how like a lot of like billing services like Stripe billing and stuff do stuff. So I think it would be hard to fit it into that mold. But basically how we thought about it, because Drip is, you know, basically metered, but it would climb through tiers. So it wasn't strictly metered, you know, it was kind of a step function. So basically we, when you paid for annual up front, it was at whatever given plan you were on. And as you upgraded through, it would just chip away faster at what you paid for. So you we would effectively end up paying, you know, re-upping your annual potentially early if you basically chewed through the annual credits that you bought. Um, Got it. Yeah. Not, not as good a fit for us, I think. Like, I like the idea that when you sign up for annual, that's your anniversary. Yeah. So then it's just a matter, I guess, of... of Pro-rating. Pro-rating. Yeah. 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 That's, that's sort of the, the approach that we've settled on so far where it's like, okay, six months from now, we're, we're going to charge you half of what the normal annual cost is. And then at the anniversary, we'll charge you the full amount for whoever's still there. Um, and it's not bad. That's the best thing we've come up with. There's part of me that just kind of hates that. It's like, oh, it's, it's X per year per person. But like, it depends on when in the year they sign up, you might get this surprise, like weird looking, you know, charge with decimal points and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah. So I have a question for you about the static stuff. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. Um, you, I think you've hinted maybe at like future things beyond form backend mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to talk about any of that? Uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think All right, cool. I've been pretty public about the fact that like the vision goes kind of beyond just forms. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, what's what's the vision? Yeah, so I mean, I'm kind of like trying to take a very iterative approach to this and let customers and people that I come in contact with who are interested in static space and, and building static sites kind of drive my decision making on this. But 
there's a number of things that you really need. Like if you're trying to migrate off of WordPress to using static sites, I mean, think about all the things that WordPress provides for you. You know, if you wanted to implement some lightweight auth identity management stuff so that you can put some stuff behind a password, for example, or, you know, if you want to add a search bar to your site. And so there's a number of these things like this. Say you're a photographer and you want to have a gallery of photos uh, displayed on your site. You know, a static sites, like that's not exactly the best use for things like, you know, Git to throw a bunch of large binary files in. So you kind of need, you know, some, some kind of like asset hosting or something like that. So there's a number of these things that are kind of necessary to really make static sites super feasible to use. And if you think about like what Netlify coined as the jam stack, it's like JavaScript APIs and markup. And a core part of that is the APIs, the third-party providers that give you dynamic functionality beyond what you can kind of statically pre-compile and put into flat files on a server. That's kind of a critical piece of the puzzle. And right now, it's like there's a lot of disparate providers. So you could end up with kind of this Frankenstein of like, you know, 10 different services on top of a hosting provider and a static site generator. And I think that makes it kind of a losing proposition for a lot of people if you're having to pay for so many different services just to make a website. Kind of the the vision is like static kit. It's a toolkit of things, all the things you would need to accompany your static site generator to build a website. Are you thinking strictly on the API part of that? For now, that's kind of the direction I'm headed in. I, I won't rule anything out. Like there's there's kind of this this elephant in the room of like the content management side of things. Like you know, how do you make static sites also feasible for non-technical people to manage and update? And and that's a, that's another reason. Like, for example, at Drip, we had a number of like individual sites that we had built that were built with static site generators. But anything where we needed like, you know, a support person to go in and be able to update um, some documents or something, we generally used WordPress at the time because it just was it was a non-starter to say like, all right, like download the source. And then commit it to Git and push it up to GitHub, and then it'll auto deploy. Like that, like training non technical people on that workflow was not was a no go. And so, so that's another angle where I mean that's a critical piece of the puzzle, but it's it's kind of a whole nother area like uh, that's very different from things like forms and auth and identity. So, hmm. so I don't know. Okay, interesting. So when you when you think of the additional stuff you add and like when you when you look at like a Netlify kind of thing, do you see holes or problems or things like that where like oh like I I have a, I think I'd have a different take on on those things? Yeah, and so Netlify is a good example because they do they do the hosting part of it, right? But then they also have kind of plugins, so they have like a forms solution, for example, built into their platform. From what I can kind of tell, like they're they're trying to provide like the the quick simple solution for a lot of these types of things that I that I mentioned, but I think there's an opportunity to kind of take them a little bit further. And I think for a hosting company, like it's a it's a lot to ask for someone who's specializing in, you know, seamless deployments and stuff to also nail the experience with all these other plugins. I think that it could very well work for for very simple cases, but like for example, with with forums, I'm kind of taking it to the next step and I'm providing a JavaScript client library for React and for HTML environments. So, you know, if you're building, if you're using Next.js or Gatsby or something like that, and you're trying to build a form, it kind of doesn't jive super well with with the approach that Netlify is taking with forms, for example. And like, say you want to control, tightly control the experience, like someone submits this form and now I'm going to 
show them another form or take them to a secondary page and and deliver some kind of content upgrade. Like those things are are not really that easy to achieve using the the kind of simplistic tooling that they offer. So I think I'm kind of trying to hone in on some of the some of the really valuable use cases and make those really smooth. Um, gotcha. I think that's really like offer like more advanced versions of those. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds promising. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if you can nerd out harder on those things than they yeah. want to. Yeah. Yeah. Take a thing for them that's like a, a sort of a feature checkbox and instead make that a core part of your business you can offer just a lot more of a, a positive experience. Right. And I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to obsess over the details right now on like making this the best experience. So I just published like pretty in-depth documentation on all the client libraries and we're still a work in progress. I still have more to add, but kind of released the first cut of that. And, you know, I've gotten already some, some really positive feedback from some folks who, who kind of onboarded with the docs already there for them. And they're like, oh my gosh, I thought you had omitted a bunch of stuff because it was so simple, but it, it just did exactly what I needed it to do. And that's like, that's what I'm going for. You know, I hope this strategy is going to work. You know, we'll, we'll see. Gotcha. Cool. Do, are you allergic to the getting into the hosting space? I would like that to be the the dividing line where like there's hosting and then there's all the third party services, the, the kind of like pre-built serverless components. I kind of would like to not have to go into hosting, you know? And I think that I feel like it's a different enough problem space that's being solved really well. Like that's where Netlify really shines and where Zite really shines right now is like nailing that deployment experience. And totally. Yeah. So. And, and it feels like kind of like lower margin in a way to me, like more, more cutthroat. People are more price sensitive on the hosting side because it feels like, yeah, just, just host the site. Damn it. Right. It's for better or worse. It's kind of like hosting in general is pretty commoditized. And even though these services are providing like a, a vastly superior experience to like spinning up your own EC2 instance or something, um, it's still, still kind of lumped in with hosting as a category. So it's tough. Gotcha. But like search as a service or a identity as a service feels higher value, higher profit probably yeah i'm trying what i'm trying to do basically is bring the levels of, of abstraction even higher so like like right now even even just forums is sort of generic but i'm um not to go too deep into this stuff because it's kind of kind of early but like i'm trying to bundle up forms into even more specific use cases so that it's like 10 seconds to having a working thing a deliverable that you are going to have to build using generics otherwise the faster you can get people to just a solution of like saving them tons of time and tons of development cycles, um, that's where you can really start to capture value, I think. Definitely. So cool. That's an interesting peek into what sounds like your future. Yeah. How committed are you to this path now? Uh, I'm pretty committed at this point. I feel like I have enough confidence that um, I can I can build off this kernel of forms like it's it's a simple MVP product that is marketable and is already starting to make money. And so and that's that's what I was looking for was like, what's the kernel of something that I can deliver in a short period of time? And then once once I start getting customers in the door, once I start, you know, this is the conversation starter now work the iterative process to build this into something even more valuable that can that can do even more. So got it. Yeah. It's almost like forms is the, like the tripwire product that gets you yeah. connected to people that are willing to pay money for things. Yep. That's how I'm thinking about it. It's funny, like an annual upgrade for static kit mm -hmm. uh, this early. 
uh, is like kind of awesome, especially like considering like the, like the level experience. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> right. are you, like how, how does that feel comparatively? It feels really good. Cause I, cause sometimes I'm like, oh man, the numbers are still really small and it's easy to, it's easy to like feel like the road is going to be super long and the ramp is going to be super, you know, gradual. But at the same time, like I think about how much time I invested into level and sure, I felt like I was getting positive signals with people joining the list and people getting excited about it. But what did that end up yielding me? <laughs> Very little. So I've, I've already been, you know, yielded more arguably from from static Kit in the few months I've been building it um, than I was from level in like a year and a half, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's all about that dollars per hour. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Congrats on the progress so far. Thanks. Yeah, we're probably coming up on time. I, I think next time I want to pick your brain a little bit about um, some pricing stuff, actually. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. I bet you will be able to convince me to do that. I, I think so. I, I suspect I will. All right. Show notes? Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. See you.